You're listening to the Real Estate Investing Podcast with Dante Belmonte, here to help you start or continue your journey in real estate. Each episode, we bring you a different expert real estate investor who will share the secrets to their success so you can learn and benefit from their experience. Let's jump right into it. Welcome back to the show, guys. Today, we have a good buddy of mine coming on the show. His name is Rick Jarman. Rick is a real estate investing veteran. He also did new construction on homes. He does rentals, flips. Today, we talk a little bit about current market condition, market inventory. Uh, he also has a real estate sales office, which is awesome. So we get to talk a little bit about the real estate transactions going on, too, and everything going on in the market. We hope you guys enjoy the episode. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte. Today with us, we have a good friend of mine. You got Rick Jarman on the show. Rick, how are you doing today, man? Man, I'm great. How about you, buddy? I'm doing good now that you're here, let me tell you. <laughs> so, Rick, you've been on the show before. I wanted you back on here because you just have a lot of knowledge. You have a lot of experience in real estate investing, and you've got a pretty good presence on social media as far as the knowledge that you put out there for everyone you've gained a substantial amount of following across the country for the most part um so for those of you that didn't listen um rick for those guys that didn't listen can you please just go over and tell us a little bit about yourself your experience okay yeah i've been in the business for myself since 1984 when i just had turned 29 years old i'm 65 as of this month uh, like I said, if I had to make something happen, I didn't get a paycheck for the last 30 some odd years, almost 40 years. Uh, bought my first rental house, 1981. Bought my first house to flip, 1976. Bought my first piece of land when I was 17. So I've, I've been fooling with this stuff a long time. It's all I've ever done. It's the only, only industry I've ever worked in. I worked in construction between my 11th and 12th grade of high school and Find out what I love. So I was a home builder. When I got out of high school, I'd come a carpenter apprentice and work my way up. Anyway, I built new homes for 31 years. I, I quit in two, uh, 2015 when I turned 60. I just said, I'm just going to collect my rent on my rentals and flip a few houses. Just kind of, I tell folks flipping houses is like being on vacation after you build houses. Right. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, great introduction. Thank you. And thank you again for coming on the show. Um, today, I just kind of wanted to you know, go through a few different things, um, starting with the current market. So obviously, we're, I want to say, at the tail end of the uh, coronavirus, hopefully, we've been going through this for a few months. Um, obviously, no one, including yourself, has ever experienced anything like this, but I want to hear your take on it. Uh, I, I want to basically hear what you thought when this whole thing started, what you were thinking was going to happen to the real estate market. What have you seen happen in the real estate market and what do you predict is going to happen a little bit later on in the real estate market? Ooh, that's a lot of predictions there now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, I was actually, my wife and I, my son, his wife, and three of my grandkids, four, four of my grand, all four of my grandkids, we were in Gulf Shores, Alabama at the beach when all this started really getting serious, you know, it was during spring break for us. And the day I was, I could have stayed at the beach another day. And I said, look, I'm ready to get home because I was wanting to, you know, just get to my office, get to everything, just, you know, because the day we were leaving, they shut the beach down where we were at. You know, they were already shutting down restaurants and stuff. So, I mean, just all that within itself is, was, you know, so unusual. 
But what we got going on now is, uh, you know, a lot of people say, how does it compare to 2008, the Great Recession? Well, there's really no comparison. To, in 2008, during the Great Recession, the banks just quit loaning money. I mean, they just cut you off like cutting the water off. I mean, you couldn't do anything unless you were dealing with private money lenders or something. At least this time around, they're trying to, you know, help, you know, by doing the PPP, you know, for uh, payroll protection, you know, plan for people to have employees and helping people with stimulus checks and all. But this is crazy when, you know, it's, it's just totally different. So what is created, as you know, for the real estate market, you know, everybody keeps saying how bad it's going to get, but so far things are still moving and, Yep. You know, I did a video today, you know, I have a Instagram as you were saying a while ago, it's real estate old school and a YouTube channel, same name. But I was talking about everybody keeps saying it's going to go down, but so far it hasn't. You no, know, it's it almost gone month, up. I know. Yeah, I know what I mean. It's, you know, that supply, it's all about supply and demand still, and there's still yep. a demand and supply is still low pretty much most everywhere in the country. Yeah. So the market's holding strong and a couple of the national magazines I get through the Home Builders Association, National Home Builders Association, you know, they're talking about, you know, it, everything's rebounding, you know, fast. So, I, you know, who knows? I mean, uh, I heard all these horror stories about rentals, you know, but our rentals have been doing good. Now this month, we had like three people last month that didn't pay. Like two of them lost a job. One of them wouldn't have paid anyway. I've been battling with this particular person. This month, we've got a few more days. It's not looking quite as good as last month. But, you know, a lot of people have kind of gotten the word now that tenants that they don't, they can't evict them, you know, to over in July, you know. And so there, some people are going to ride it out. I had one the other oh, day yeah. that I went by and found out when she was going to pay her rent and, she says she's waiting on her stimulus check. And I'm thinking, well, you probably don't got that check spend it. Oh, yeah. But then I said, well, you need to pay your rent. She says, well, you know, it's coronavirus. You know, I said, no, it ain't affected you. You know, you, you, you're you on Section 8 and your, your money hadn't changed. But some people are going to use it as a, a wedge to us landlords to not pay the rent, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's something that's really affected people locally where I'm at. I, a, you know, a landlord actually sent a letter to the governor of New York, Cuomo, and it got blasted out on the internet. And just th this guy, you know, he just, he's speaking for all of us because they just think, you, you know, we're greedy, you know, tenant praying landlords that are rich and, you know, that we're not making a living out of it. And it's totally different. I mean, the people that are on here listening to this podcast, the people I have on the podcast, the people who are in real estate groups, they're the ones who care and aren't trying to prey on tenants, but do things right. It's the people That's that are right, out man. there, you know, and it's the other people out there who are doing that. And because of their actions, we're victims of that. Okay. And the government, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Respond. No, no, you're, you're good. And, and the government's just, they're not doing anything for us as the landlords, as the taxpayers, as the housing providers for their areas. They're not doing anything to help us, you know? And, and you hear the horror stories of, you know, which I, I do single family, you know, run around 125 single family homes. I got three duplex, a little bit of commercial. But you hear these horror stories of multifamily units, larger units, with the people going in together and doing rent strikes and whatever. Yep. But, you know, folks got to realize when this is over, you, you're going to have to pay or you, 
you're going to be evicted, you know, and this, uh, but I'm just hoping they don't extend this time for the eviction because it does make it tough when you have nothing to hold over somebody's head to help make them pay their rent. You know, it's one thing if they lost a job, you know, I've got, like, I've got a guy that has a barbershop that rents from me a building I own and, you know, they couldn't, they just this past week or week before got to where they could go back to work. You know, it was shut down in the state of Alabama for hair salons, beauty shops and whatever. I mean, the barbershop. So I called him. I said, look, man, you know, I want to try to work with you. You've been with me several years. You know, what I did to all my tenants, if I the ones I heard had lost a job, I'd say, look, have you signed up for your pennies? You'd be surprised how many bit. And I said, have you tried to, like with Alabama, you go through the Alabama you know, Department of Labor to sign up for that $600 a month right. from the government. And a lot of people hadn't did it. And, and, and I think what happens, like this guy, I think his problem was you had to be current on filing your taxes, you know. And a lot of people like that hadn't paid the taxes in a couple of years. And so they're not eligible for some of this stuff. But, you know, I, I called him, left him a message, said, look, if you just, he's back at work. I said, if you pay this month, last month, I'll try to uh, break it up for you so much a month for the next 12 months. I hadn't heard a word from him. You know, it's like, right. Think, they think it's going to go away or you're going to ride it out or what, you know, I, I don't know. I've never seen nothing like it. Yeah, it's, it's a very unique situation. And to touch back onto what you're talking about a little while ago about supply and demand, you know, low supply, high demand still there. Uh, my, my father, he's also a real estate agent with the same brokerage that we hold our license with. And we were talking about the inventory and he was saying how, you know, inventory is down by 70%, 70%. That's how low inventory is right now. And sales were down about 69%. So right there with it. So with that supply has dropped down so low, I think because of uncertainty in the market and a lot of people aren't sure what's going to happen, but then that demand is still high because people are saying, Oh, well maybe now I can get into good, get a good deal or, you know, now I, you know, I'm not afraid I'm still going to invest. So there's still that buyer pool there that are looking to get in. I mean, me working as an agent, I have clients who a house gets listed today. It has 25 showings on it. And it's sold with five authors, uh, uh, five offers right. by the end of the day. You know, it's just the, the market we're currently sitting in. We're at very high values too. Well, you know, excuse me, before all this even happened, I'd been telling people around here where I live, I said, what's going to slow the market is there's not enough property, yep. you know, listed. And, you know, if agents don't have something to sell, they can't sell and that's going to make the numbers go down, you know, so. I mean, we live, the county I live in is about 218,000 people counting the University of Alabama, you know, all the students there. But it's, it's not a really big county. It's not that small. It's just nice size, you know. And we've, we've been running between 640 to 750 pieces of property for sale. From Talking about single family and residential, mm-hmm. you know, garden homes, everything and condos when a healthy market around here would be 1800 to 2000. So right. as fast as something comes on, it's bought up, you know? Yep. So if you, you know, like me as a flipper, I've got one more house that once I flip it, I got to either build something, which I don't really want to go back to building or, you know, I just have to wait and see what happens, which I've got my rental, you know, we can live off of, but I still have my office and my son works with me. And my office, man, like my son's been with me. He uh, turned 39 in August, but he's been working for 20 years. 
since 2000 this month when he graduated high school 20 years ago. And I got a real estate agent has been with me 16 years and maintenance man's been with me 15 and then my office manager about nine to 10. So, you know, I tell him, I said, if we don't, if she doesn't sell enough real estate and we don't flip a little property along the way, uh, and there's not that money that comes out of my rentals. And I don't like that. I, you know, I want right. the office to take care of itself, you know? Yeah. And so, going back to what you're kind of talking about with your office there and, and selling more property, whatnot, that this year is my second full year with real estate sales. And we, we've had low inventory for about two years now. I'd say it's been a steadily declining supply. And, you know, my father was just telling me, you know, we we're talking today again. And he's like, listen, if you could, make a living and sell in this market. He's like, you'll kill it when the inventory is at the right amount. And I mean, I just closed half a million over half a million in sales, you know, in last month alone. And so I'm thinking to myself, Oh, I'm doing pretty good, but it can get so much better once the supply increases. Right. Um, some properties might sit on the market for more days on market, but at the end of the day, you're going to have more sales, more closings. Um, I've always said if we could get back just to a normal market, I make more money. We hadn't been in a normal market since 2008. You know, once the recession right. was over, it's just been going up, 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 and up. And, you know, right now people getting into business, selling real estate or whatever. And, you know, they don't want to work weekends because they don't have to have open houses on Wednesday. And all they got to yep. do is throw the sign up and they're getting multiple offers, but that'll be over with. And when that's over with, I hope, I hope it stays good, you know, but, if it just gets back to a normal market, it'll weed a lot of these people out that aren't willing to work. Cause you know, I always used to say real estate sales is the easiest low paying job or the hardest high paying. And yeah. I'm sure you check with your dad about that. I mean, I, I've been a real estate agent since 83 and a broker since 86. And I hadn't probably in the last 15, 20 years, I don't sell much just less it's you know, some of my friends or something. I just, in fact, when I sold my last house, I had to sign my real estate agent sign up because I didn't want to deal with it. But, you know, I negotiated it, whatever. But because I was building, building was my main thing, you know. Right. Yeah. So something that j just my prediction and what I, and then I want to hear yours as well. So when this whole thing started, obviously, everyone was in, in kind of a panic and wasn't sure what was going to happen. And we've all been hearing that a recession is going to come, a market adjustment. And people were scared because they didn't know when it was going to come and what it was going to look like. So what I always say is the difference between 2008, the recession in 2008. Yes, I wasn't that old. I wasn't that active. I wasn't doing that many things. But And what's going on now is 2008 was an economic recession. It was caused by monetary values, so to speak. You know, there's economic, there are problems within the economy and money involved in that where with what we're dealing with now is medical. The cause of this is medical. It's not an economic problem. It's a, it's a medical issue. Um, so what I predict is we're going to see a real U or a V where this market kind of just dropped down very quickly because it did. I mean, it, you think back, you almost feel like everything closed overnight almost, so to speak. And if you've watched in my videos, I've always said when a recession comes or something like this, you go bed tonight and you'll get up tomorrow. It's just like the water was cut off. That's how quick it right. happened. Yeah. And, and that's how quick it, it felt like it happened. But I feel like we're going to see, you know, it just slide right back up. It's almost like a roller coaster that goes down, gaining some momentum and then flies right up. Um, I, I just see that because people are eager to get back to doing what they're doing. 
people are eager to buy houses. People are eager to sell houses. You know, people are eager to do things in the market. All that built up momentum when that they're just sitting at home is going to kind of burst out. And once stores open up, people's favorite stores, they're going to want to go back there and shop there. Once they get back to work, they're going to get active. I mean, Rick, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, we were coming off the best economy in, I don't know, ever almost, I guess, you know, and mm-hmm. then for, like you said, to drop so fast. But yeah, I, I, I believe the same thing. That's kind of what I've been kind of preaching in my videos that I think is going to come back. There's going to be some bumps in the roads, in the road, you know, but the big thing is as long as the banks keep loaning money, Yep. you know, which this is a totally different thing. You know, even in 2008, they made banks borrow, even ones that didn't want to borrow, each one of them had to take a certain amount of money. But where they messed up, they didn't specify they had to loan it. So a lot of them didn't loan it, so it didn't help the economy. At least now, they're doing stuff that helps everything, you know. I like how they're going back some of these, you know, like Harvard and some of these places that took money, didn't need it, and say, look, you need to give that money back for people that need it, and they're making them give it back, you know. Right. Uh, but, yeah, I... I think it's going to come back pretty quick. Uh, I think some things, I, I wouldn't want to be in commercial real estate as far as offices and stuff right now, because I think you're going to find a lot of people realize, and a lot of companies have realized what they can get done at home. Right, and how they don't need to pay for the space. You know, you know, it's like around here, the restaurants are on 50% capacity, but a lot of them hadn't even opened back up their dining rooms because they realize they can do the carry out curb service, run the kitchen, you know, like say, like some of the Mexican restaurants around here, they're late and other restaurants are labeling the parking lot with numbers. You call in your order. They tell you what number to park at. You go parking that number and they bring your food out to you. Yep. I mean, so they're, they're, some of them are making some good money with times like that instead of having all the overhead with the staff and, so there'll be certain people don't go back to work and all that, but sad to say a lot of those people wouldn't have been home buyers anyway. They're going to be renters, you know? Right. Uh, it, it, I think a lot of it depend on how many, you know, how many jobs aren't, you know, well, there's going to be jobs lost as we know, but there's a lot more new jobs coming on also. I mean, you know, everywhere you turn in them and you know how they're talking about trying to pull things back from, you know, the Asia, you know, get the, especially China getting stuff going here in the United States. Again, right, more domestic. So I think that's the big key is people get back to work. And folks are going to be ready to do something after this sitting home a lot. Of course, you know, we've both been fortunate enough to uh, be called essential workers. So, I mean, we've been working hard. We hadn't missed a day. Oh, yeah. I, I haven't stopped. I mean, usually it's a 8 in the morning till just, just about 9 p.m. at night. We're, so we're still we're doing our thing. There, you know, we're blessed that we don't have to. But, you know, some, some, I've got friends, some of my friends, you know, that live in the cities in New York, you know, in New York City and stuff that are friends with me on Instagram and I'll communicate with them. I got a couple of buddies in Texas I talk with, a couple of them in California just kind of comparing everything, you know. And, man, there's some folks in uh, and California, New York, California City, they was folks ready to. They're going crazy, man. They're going stir crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, think about how, how small of a space those people in New York City live in, those 500-square-foot yeah. apartments, you know, those loft apartments, so to speak. I mean, I, I, it's like caging animals. <laughs> I couldn't do it. 
Right. So, so something else that Rick, you preach on that I, I like, and I think a lot of people also want to know in the back of their head of how they should be doing it is in times like this, how to not be over leveraged, how to be positioned properly to pivot with the market. So when I say pivot with the market, I mean, going from a market that's at the top of the top and a blind man can make money in real estate, you know, to shifting over right. to this. Wow. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. And shifting over, pivoting to this new market, so to speak, where supply is low, demand's still high, but people could possibly not be paying their rent. People are not working. So what do people need to know or what do people need to do to pivot properly in this market? I, well, you know, I'm closing on a piece of property next Monday that I feel sure I'm going to lose two or three months of rent, you know, because I can get the tenant out. If the tenant doesn't pay, what can I do? But it was such a good deal. So it always falls back what I, I've been preaching on Instagram. Always make sure you're buying a deal, that it's a deal. Yep. And to know it's a deal, you got to know your market. So know your market, always find a deal and make the numbers work right then when you buy. Too many people have been buying property the last several years, banking on appreciation. Mm, yeah, you, not good. Got, you know, you, you can't bank on appreciation. Don't even think about the tax advantages. You just look at the cold, hard numbers. If it works now, it's going to work. You know, and people worry about well, if the housing market goes down, if it goes up. If you've got a piece of rental property and you're not trying to sell it, you're just renting it, you don't care if the market goes up and down as far as if your numbers work and your tenants are, they work either way. Now, sure, you're your net worth may change a little on your financial statement if it was to hit during that time. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter. It's a piece of rental property, if the numbers work, they, you know, that's what counts. You know, you got that cash flow. Right. Jay Scott from Bigger Pockets. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he, he said it very well. He said, when you're analyzing a deal, you know, try to top out that vacancy at 10%. Then also, instead of taking the rents at what they're at, maybe drop the rents by 10%. So, we're looking at not that great scenarios, worst case scenario. And if that deal still looks good, you buy it no matter what, yeah. you know, because if, if it's going to look good in the worst case scenario where it's at high vacancy and the rents are lower than, you know, below market average, then it's only going to get better. And I, I think that's something that's very important that yeah, you were touching on there. Well, you know, I always say liars can number, but numbers don't lie. Yep. My, my boss used to say men, men, men lie, women lie, numbers don't lie, you know? That's right. If you're trying to make those numbers work and stretch them, oh, I believe I can do this and that, you're lying to yourself. Them numbers have got to work, work the day you buy it, and you've got a good chance. Right. And appreciation, people need to understand appreciation is icing on the top of the cake. That's not at all what we're going for. The tax benefits as well, tax benefits as well that's just icing on the cake. That's what comes along with it. We're looking for, you know, like you said, cold, hard numbers, cold, hard cash flow. We're surviving with these properties by cash flowing. And for those that are listening, you know, obviously we're, we're investing in a hard asset. We're investing in a cash flowing asset. Hopefully you're investing in appreciate, appreciating asset. Um, that's just things that happen naturally with the property. We never go in hoping that the property is going to appreciate and that's when we're going to make our money because odds are, even if it does appreciate and you sell, you still got capital gains to pay and it's going to eat up a majority of that appreciation. I mean, Rick, your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> going back to 2008. I know we're bouncing back and forth there, but that's yeah. things compared to it. You know, I was in C class properties, which I still am basically. 
I basically was in, but I am now for sure, pretty much everything, except for like this commercial property and whatever. And my, during the last recession, I wasn't hurt at all on my rental side. Now building side, it was tough, you know, because the banks wasn't loaning money, but my rentals performed, my rents came out. People say, well, how much did your rents go down? Well, they didn't. My, you know, they, I kept getting the same rent I was getting. You know, I do single family. I like single family for the longevity. Now I'm talking even, like, even 10 units and less is what I consider single family, even if it's a small apartment complex. Because I see like a lot of cities, you know, uh, it'll be like a fourplex or a fiveplex, you know, and that's not like a hundred units or something, you know, it's still basically ran like a single family. And uh, you're not, you know, it's likely to get hurt, you know, like I said, I hadn't heard anybody on here, on like on Instagram, in a while, saying, "Why do you deal with single-family homes? Do you need apartments?" You know, they, right. uh, the, the multi, big multi-family. Well, just look at even old Grant Cordon, which a lot of people follow. Do you know? He stopped paying his, uh, you know, his syndication. People's in the syndication. They put that on a freeze for ninety days, and you know, uh, he laid people off. And I mean. You can look at him and tell he's trying to paint a rosy picture, but he's concerned. Right. And a lot of Who life, isn't? So, that's right. I mean, but I think if you're in single family homes, you're not going to be as worried. I mean, you know, I, like I said, I run 125 units and I have maybe three people. Like I said, last month didn't pay. If it was double that this month, it's still not going to hurt me. Right. Yeah, Cause you position yourself properly and you know, with the experience you have of what's going to, go wrong and what isn't I, something that makes me nervous is I don't do any really single family investings. I, I have one single family property. That's, that's a one unit. Um, mm -hmm. The problem is if they don't pay that whole property is at hundred percent vacancy technically or hundred percent bad debt where when you yeah. do have those multifamily units kind of helps spread it out across. I mean, would you agree? Well, I don't say that. I, you know, I hear that all the time and that's true. Mm -hmm. If you've got one house, one vacant, if you got 10 houses and 10 plexes, same thing. If you got four houses and four one, right. like, you know, once you get past that one, it's really not that much difference. You know, uh, it's, it's just whatever works for, you know, I hear people say, well, you've only got it all under one roof. Well, yeah, but you still got 20 heating and cooling units, 20 water heaters, 20 mm -hmm. power boxes. And, you know, same thing, you know, so it's, it's, you know, like I said, smaller units, you run them like single family, you get into the bigger units. And of course you get into, you get into property manager on site, you get into, you know, lawn care and, uh, dumpsters right. and parking lot up stuff that you don't have a single family, you know, they cut their own grass and you know, uh, you don't have all, but it, it's like whatever works for you. I, I, I've had them both. I've had as high as 16 units. I've had 10 units, five plexes, and I just found I like single family better for me. It's just for the very reason of stuff. You know, I've been through six recessions counting this one, five of them since I've been in business. I tell people I've got, in fact, I've got a video where I, I, I tell what year they were, how long they lasted. You know, the first one I was right out of high school, so I really didn't feel it because I was just working as a carpenter apprentice. But I did feel as far as it was 1973, we had a gas embargo and that recession lasted about a year. And 
I forgot how many months. It was pretty long. I mean, there for a while we were having a, they were gas lines at the pumps, hoping you'd get enough gas to go to work the next day, you know. Right. So, it, and I've been through some hard times in the 90s, same time like President uh, Trump did, you know, and a lot of other people in real estate that time. So I found through all these single family homes just keep on performing for me. Yeah. Where I'm at in my setup. Yep. Every market's different. Every market's going to get affected a little differently, so to speak. Um, but Rick, what are you doing right now to keep moving along, keep doing your thing? Are you doing anything out of the ordinary, anything special? Or are you just keeping your head up and keep moving along as yeah, you always are? That's all we're doing. We're communicating a little more. We know, you know, we do our own property management. So we're making a few more phone calls just and say, my tenants like to come by and pay their rent at the office. If some of them mail it in, most of them will come by. And so, and I've got tenants. I, I did a video today. I've got a lady that's been with me 17 years, ever since I bought the house. And I do 15 year mortgages on everything I do. So she's paid <laughs> for that house. But she was in that house. I said, Well, how long have you lived there? She's lived there 21 years. Wow. And I've got a lot of my tenants have been with me 12, 13 years. You know, because we keep our property up, we try to be a good landlord. So you get tenants like that. Uh, you know, they just, they come by and they, the office, you know, people say, what are y'all doing different? When it was for everybody knew as much about this, you know, you know, coronavirus, we were leaving the front door open so we didn't have to constantly wipe the doorknob off, you know, and that's kind of thing. They'd come into our counter and pay, you know, it wasn't, uh, we hadn't really did a whole lot of things different, you know. Right. So you just kind of keep, you know, kept your nose down, kept moving along how you always have been yeah. doing it. Well, it, you know. And the reason you've been able to do that is because you've always been doing things the right way. You haven't over leveraged yourself. You, you've stayed on the beaten path uh, where some people like to be creative. And this is something that I don't necessarily like to throw shade at because I do love bigger pockets. I love Brandon Turner, you know, David Green, all those good guys, but their low money or no money approach can be a very scary thing in, in down markets or markets that are having issues like right now. When you're that high leveraged right. and your mortgage payment is so much higher than if you were 20% down or something like that, you're going to feel it a lot more than those people mm -hmm. who own the property outright in cash or have 80% or excuse me, 20% or more of equity in the home, you know? Here's something else I think, you know, I used to take a lot of people since I've been on Instagram because I really, I got on Instagram a little over a year ago. I had nobody to talk about this stuff with but my son, you know, because I didn't even know what a podcast was to he introduced me <laughs> not two years ago to bigger pockets, you know? So, and I used to listen to some, but people, I, I, people ask me what real estate books I read. I, you know, I've been learning this stuff and YouTube and, and I probably, I hadn't read a real estate book in probably 10 years. I did buy the bird method the other day, just so I, I've all time recommending that book. So I figured I better read it, you know, but, I told him I've been doing the bird method since the 74 had that name. Right. But, the, but the thing, you know, we, I'd take a little ribbon for some of the other guys on here cause we we're pretty old school with our stuff. You know, I don't have any, you know, my people either pay with check money orders. You know, we don't, we discourage cash, but we take it, you know, we're not going to turn them away. Right. And you know, so you don't have this or you don't have that, but you know, all these other things now, when people maybe had tenants paying through these, uh, you know, uh, 
software programs where they take the money and everything. You know, I can't think of the names of a couple of them right now. It's a little different for them. Where me, where we've had communication with our tenants and we're going through this, we're on top of what's going on with them. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you are communicating with them so much. You're in front of them, you know, right. versus you're not in front of a screen. You're actually in front of their face. So you can, I don't want to say be a little more aggressive, but you can be a little bit more, you know, in, in person there. Well, and you know present. what's going on in their life. You know, they yep. come in, they're paying the rent. Now, my tenants are paying, but, you know, they're telling you what's going on. If they've, if they've been cutting back hours on their job. And I do a lot of Section 8, you know, so the percentage of mine is coming from the government. We'll give you a good example. I had a young man come in my office the other day, and I don't use the deal with the rent taken or whatever. I mean, I don't answer the phone, and I pass all that. But if, if nobody there, I'll definitely take the money. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> And I was the only one there. And this young man come in. I said, now, who are you paying for? He says, you know me, Mr. Jarman. He told me where they live. Well, he was 19 years old. He was he was seven years old when him and his mama moved in my house. And, of course, I don't come in contact with him. I didn't even recognize him. I mean, and that's, that's a lot of my tenants are like that, you know. And right. that's another thing. Single family, you don't have the turnover you do, you know, with multifamily. Correct. Yeah. You, you definitely have some uh, more long-term tenants in there because they can feel like it's their home. You know, they can take yeah, care I mean, of like their home. They, and it is their home. You know, they, they think Great. of it as that, you know. Awesome. So there's other things that work good at these times, you know. So like I said, you look at all recessions, I found what worked for me and more out my area because I'm in a university town, you know, so mm -hmm. we have a lot of big apartment complexes for students. And I, I sold all my student rentals here a few years ago. I just, I didn't, I like, I like dealing with the C class I deal with. I didn't really like dealing with students. Of course. Nothing yeah. I mean, I worked in maintenance for 10 years at university before I went full time in this business. So in housing, so I'd had a beta students, you know, right. It's just something you didn't want to deal with anymore. No hard feelings yeah. there. <laughs> All right. So we're going to switch over gears to a, a different section in the show called the curious cues. So I'm going to throw some questions at you. Uh, if you don't have answers for them, just tell me to pass. All right. Okay. <laughs> uh, first question, uh, favorite podcast you enjoy listening to? Well, I've enjoyed yours. I've listened to several of them. Like I said, you know, I, I hadn't listened to a lot of them. The ones I'm on, I usually listen to and uh, right. probably bigger <laughs> pockets at first, you know, but I still want to be on there. I've never been on there. I'd like, cause that's just one of my goals I set when I started this journey on Instagram and everything. Yep. I'm a big goal setter, but I think so many of the podcasts that get somebody on there that did three or four or five deals and now they're an expert. Maybe they wrote a little, you know, how to, how to do it manual and all. And I, that's, it's to me, that's when I listen to them like that, it's kind of like watching HGTV on some of those flip shows and yeah. I myself, my wife say, why are you even watching it upset you? So, I mean, you know, then there's some <laughs> good ones. So it's the same way with the podcast, you know? Okay. All right. Very good. So I don't uh, guess I've got a good answer on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, favorite book uh, you like reading? My favorite book of all times. Uh, whew, you know, I've told you this story before. It's three books. In 1981 or late 80, I read an article in Reader's Digest. It was called Beating Inflation with Real Estate. I had been keeping up a bunch of property for another man that kind of piqued my interest doing his maintenance. I was putting my wife through college. This is in the seventies. 
I mean, she was at you know, college and that's when I was doing the work, so it piqued my interest. But by 1980, I read this article and I was doing a lot of side work. I was still working my job at the university and remodeling and everything on the side and flipping houses. And I read this article and it listed three books and I bought those three books. One of them was uh, William Nickerson, How to Turn $500 into a Million. He's probably the granddaddy of all the books. He, he wrote this book in the 60s and it's still, you know, just as good today as then. One of them was uh, Nothing Down, I think, by Robert Allen. And the third one was we, uh, William, not William Nickerson, but Albert J. Lowry. I can't remember the title of his, but I, I keep those three books in my bedroom on a stand there in my bedroom. So that's kind of started my rental career. And I just, I hadn't reread them in years, but I just like walking by and looking at them. But those really influenced me a lot, but probably my all time favorite would be, uh, Gosh, I got two or three more. I like the art of the deal. I like the art of the comeback. Okay. Two really good books, Donald Trump. You know, first one he wrote in 1987. And by 1998, he, he went from being a billionaire to a being in a hole, you know. <laughs> I like those. But, but another book I like is called uh, Trammel Crow Master Builder. It's almost like a textbook. And uh, it's not about building, that's just the title of it. He was really uh, pioneered a lot of things in the commercial real estate. He worked with a lot of different partners and, you know, it, it kind of, I patterned things after that in my early years, you know, working with partners and stuff on deals. Yeah. But it's Trammell Crow, the R deal, and his company's still out there. He's, he's passed away, but. I don't know if you've ever seen like Lincoln properties or Trammell Crow properties, all these companies that, you know, he, they have, I mean, he was, he would have been the richest man in the United States before Sam Walton, but then there was a big turn down in the commercial market. Kind of guy. He come back strong. I mean, you know, he, he went out a winner. Right. Okay. I uh, biggest hurdle in real estate that you've had to experience. Biggest hurdle in real estate. Well, if account, a lot of people were really affected in 2008. I'd went through some hard times in the nineties, like I said, so that would have been my biggest hurdle having to basically start over, you know, where in 2008, I just coached right through because I knew what to do and what not to do. Right. So you learned. Yeah. Okay. So I guess right. the biggest hurdle was not being able to borrow money. In okay. The 90s while I was regrouping, you know, not being able to properly leverage yourself or money, you know, so you learn, learn to, use partners and private money lenders. And, and even during the recession, 2008, people wasn't loaning money, but I had some private money lenders that I've been working with. So I would buy stuff I knew I wouldn't keep, but I could hold on to the market turned. And I tell folks, you know, a lot of people got messed up and last recession, I come out of it a couple of years later, my net worth had increased by $2 million on the stuff I'd bought to deal with. Awesome. Okay. Your favorite part of investing in real estate. You know, it, it all, it's hard to say your favorite, you know, it all changes at what point of life, you know, for a long, long time, me being a builder, you know, there was times I look back and you say, well, I wish I'd built my portfolio more. Cause see, when you're borrowing money building, like I'd buy subdivisions and you know, the whole subdivision, build them, spec it or whatever. Well, 
banks will loan you money to do that. Well, you can only borrow so much money from so many banks at a time. So you're building and then you're trying to do rentals. But I loved building for so many years. And so that was what I loved the best up to quit building. You know, now I don't, I, I don't even want to build again. I mean, I've got been thinking about a couple of houses, but I've been quit five years. I enjoy the rental property, but I enjoy flipping. I like taking something and making it look good again, you know, and changing. Oh yeah. And it's just like remodeling. I always enjoyed remodeling. We used to do a lot of remodeling too, you know, because you really had to think, you know, I, I enjoy, I enjoy the flip probably right now. The most fun for me is flipping houses. Yeah. It's fun. And it's satisfying watching something from, from case come from nothing, something nasty coming to, something really well clean put together, you know? And it's not, like I said, there's not much stress to it, you know, like it was when I was building houses, you know? Oh yeah. All right. Next question is your favorite non-real estate related hobby. Well, I'm a, I play bluegrass music. Uh, I'm a musician. I, I there love you go. Music. Of course, I love all music. I'm not, but I play guitar, but my main instrument is a resophonic guitar, which is called Dobro. So I love music, but I'm always listening to music. I, if I'm in my vehicle music, you know, a lot of people listen to sports radio and whatever, but I played music all those years and traveled some with bands. So music's always been a big part of my life since I was in the sixth grade when I started. So I'm always listening to music, you know, all kinds of jazz, oldies, country, blue, you know, I love it all. I'm not into heavy metal or opera or anything like that, but I like symphony. <laughs> you know? So I'm always, if I'm grilling, I'm listening to music. If I'm, in my car and listen to music. In fact, you know, sometimes my wife say, can we just let it be quiet? But I mean, I said, do you want to drive? You leave your own drive. We'll let it be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But music, All right. Okay. Music. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, last question is going to be newbie advice. So what advice would you give to someone who's looking to get started in real estate? Don't get impatient. Don't think you've got to buy something right now. Wait to that right deal. That's good. You know, if you buy something that, that's, that's not right now, it could set you back months and you just well waited till you found the right deal. No. Yeah. That's good. Just not jumping Don't in question. doing. Yeah. Um, I mean that that's kind of, you know, for me, how I got started, I was just, I was analyzing deals, analyzing deals, analyzing deals, and I wasn't buying anything. And I was on my way to go look at this one property. And I told myself, I was like, you're buying this property. I don't care if you like it or not. If you don't buy this, you're never going to get started. And uh, it's not necessarily to say I bought a bad deal because it wasn't. It, it, it cash flows phenomenally, but I know a lot of people who unfortunately have just given push to shove and not bought that great of a deal, and it's put them on a better, pretty bad start. If you ask me a second thing, I'd have to say what you just said. Don't overanalyze it. I mean, I, I see this so much because I talk to a lot of young people. Yep. Y'all got to realize, like I said, my youngest child be thirty nine, so. <laughs> <laughs> But I talk with guys and girls on here that send me questions or whatever on my DM, on my Instagram DMing me, and I, you know, they want to be so sure they're not going to make a mistake, and and almost it's almost a fear they're scared to do anything, and you just got to go out there. You're gonna screw up, you, yep. you know. You don't, it's I mean, inevitable. you don't screw up bad, but you're gonna make mistakes. We make mistakes now. The more deals you do the faster you move sometimes and sometimes you'll make a mistake. But I would think that's the biggest thing. They over, over analyze and strategize and think everything through too much. If the numbers work, just buy it. Yep. There it is. Awesome. Well, 
Rick, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show this evening. If someone wants to connect with you, follow you, or even watch your phenomenal Instagram videos, where can they connect with you? <laughs> real Estate O School on Instagram and Real Estate O School on YouTube. Um, awesome. That's, that's pretty much it. I got a little old TikTok page too, REO School. There you go. Very nice. Awesome. Well, thank you, Rick, for stopping on the show again. We always love having you on. You have a good evening. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Talk with you later, buddy. Thanks for listening. We hope you took something away from today's episode. For more information, you can find us on Instagram at Dante Belmonte. See you next time.